0: This is the Optical Entrepreneur Podcast, brought to you by Optical Success Academy and Seiko. Whether you call yourself an optometrist, an optician, or an optical practice owner, then wherever you're listening to this right now, this is for you. It's me revealing everything I can to make you a more successful business owner. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you being here in our growing community. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is a special episode in that it's a bit of a refresh. We're evolving the podcast. We have got new things to share with you. I'm going to take you even more behind the scenes of what we're working on in my practice, Jones & Co. Styling Opticians in Manchester. We're going to take you even more behind the scenes of Optical Success Academy and what we're working on with our members there. Every year for the last eight years, we've been running an annual conference for our community of independent optometrists and opticians and practice owners. And we go out of our way to create an amazing event over a couple of days with a great energy in the room, mainly from the type of people that we attract and the type of people that are in the room, positive, ambitious practice owners who are a joy to be around. And that's one of the biggest bits of feedback we get from our events is the connections and the the discussions and conversations that come about from the community that we've assembled. We're actually just back from Orlando where we were hosting an annual conference in the US for our members out there and members in Canada. We are hosting our annual conference in Manchester this year in September. So we've got that in the pipeline. So what I'm gonna share with you today in this episode is an introduction to one of our keynote speakers from a few years ago. So each year we bring in a keynote speaker who I feel is relevant and helpful. So not just to be entertaining. Sometimes conferences that are put on, it's really just like to get a day out of the office and to be entertained for a day, but it doesn't actually translate into practical value you can take back and use in your practice. So I'm very aware of the fact I want people that come to our stage to have a lot of value to give our members. So they leave with a real impact on different ways to think about their business and lessons that they've learned and things that they can take away and use. So one of my favorite all-time speakers from the events we've been doing over the eight years is a man called Will Butler-Adams, and he is the director, CEO of Brompton, the bicycle company. They make the iconic folding bike. Their factory is in London. They're doing amazingly well. You're gonna hear Will speaking, I think it was 2019. This year, they've just passed uh, 100 million pounds in sales for the first time. So his success and Brompton's success continues to go from strength to strength. But Will is probably my favorite speaker from all the speakers we've had and the bar is very high, but Will is my personal favorite. He went down really well with the 100 or so people we had in the room on that day. And this is from the archives and it's lessons that are still critically important today that I think you'll get a lot of value from. You're gonna hear the questions that our members in the room that day asked Will, and what his responses were. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. I asked Will to be our keynote speaker. Well, first of all, Brompton, I'm sure you've seen the bikes, you know the company, and obviously we've been talking about them for a little while in anticipation of today. But Brompton was a small company uh, when Will started with it 16-ish years ago. Uh, Turnover was around £2 million. There was 20-odd employees today. Turnover's 30-something million-plus, perhaps, uh, 200-plus employees. So there's been a lot of growth in the time that Will's been there. And and Brompton's gone on to become a a global brand that has a lot of raving fan, super-passionate people that are... You know, obsessed about Brompton, and it's it's not just about the bike, it's about everything that, that means to them. So, Will's done a fantastic job of that. But the, the real thing I liked about Will is he's an engineer. Um, and we know as opticians, when you get an engineer as a client, there's some, there's, they're pretty awkward and difficult. And how does this work? And that's not quite right. And this. Um, but anyway, Will is an engineer that's trained himself to think like an entrepreneur, uh, judging by the, the things that he's done. And that's what our job is. We're trained optometrists that need to t- train ourselves to think like entrepreneurs, uh, and our job is to get people excited. Um, and Will knows how to get his team excited. He knows how to get his customers excited. He knows how to get the world and cities excited about Bromptons, and I'm excited to have Will here. So please put your hands together for Mr. Will Butler-Adams. <laughs> Hi, I really enjoyed that presentation. Um, It's a question for probably both both of you. Um, I think glasses and bikes can be really similar in that you can spend a little or you can spend a lot. So how do you get your clients to understand that good value doesn't necessarily mean cheap product?
1: So we couldn't afford, as I spoke about earlier, we couldn't afford to compete with marketing. We didn't have any money you know we were we were you know we were, we were not very profitable and um, so we had to compete by delivering a flipping awesome product and an awesome service we were really lucky cuz i joined in 2002 that we i joined at a time when social media was just beginning to take off and to me that In the old days, you used to grow your business through word of mouth if you couldn't afford marketing. And word of mouth is physically word of mouth. And it reached your friends, your family, your colleagues at work. And that was about it. What was so incredible for our business was that, you know, from about 2005 onwards, if somebody bought this funny little bike with the small wheels called a Brompton and they loved it, They then spoke about it, but that was not reaching their friends, their colleagues. It was global. And somebody in Japan could make a small video and people in America would be watching it. And so the power of social media for raising our our profile was huge. But the reason it worked is because everything was about the, the, the service, the product. So I still believe that if you're making your customers so happy if you tell them when they're buying something, what they're buying, where it's from, who made it, what the thought process is, why it's right for them, and they will love it. And, you know, we are buying so much stuff that's oversold. Our houses and flats are full of clutter of crap we don't need. Mm. So if we can be in a position where we encourage them to buy something delightful, really good quality with a really good provenance of how it's made where it's made they'll love it and then they'll say guys you know they'll do your marketing for you so my 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 I still believe even though we can afford to spend a bit of money on marketing I'm very reticent of doing so I'd rather invest it in customer experience and the product. I think as well maybe this is because I know about Brompton but anytime you see someone on a train
0: with a Brompton you almost see a connection between the person and the bike and you it looks like they love their bike. I don't know if I'm just making that up um, because they're carrying it lovingly around and it goes on the journeys with them and all that. Um, but I think that another analogy with glasses is you've got an interesting bike, so people will say, Oh, nice bike. Or they see it and think, Oh, he's a Brompton guy. Somebody just came up and said, You know, they've been spotting Brompton since the 90s and saying, Oh, there's Brompton. Same thing with eyewear. If you wear interesting eyewear, it's on your face. People ask you and talk about it. So I think, with when we work with brands, niche eyewear brands that have a story and have a uh, a, a diff- point of differentiation, and you know, it's not just a product. There's a there's a lot more to it and a lot behind it. Then people will talk about it, and the fact that it's on our face, on our clients' faces, that's a, a big big talking point. But I, I think a lesson for a lot of people is, and you know, I have a confession to make, well, these lenses are glass, so there's no prescription in my oh. glasses. Um, but the reason I wear them is because, like, it wouldn't be congruent if you drove here in a BMW today. Mm-hmm. So I think as opticians, we need to... If eyewear is our thing and we feel that people... If people need to wear glasses, you should be able to feel good in glasses, enjoy wearing them. It should be a positive thing. It shouldn't <coughs> be a negative thing. Um, so I think that it's a little thing, but it's also a big thing. And... Um, yeah, that was. I had one other point, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave that for later. That's
1: really enjoyed um, what you spoke about, Will. And my question is mainly about uh, leadership and influence. Is clearly you have a big team and it's grown significantly over the last several years. How do you still influence the guys on a in the stores or in the factory to to keep the vision strong and keep focusing on what they're doing? So. It's, one example was me rowing across the Hudson. Everybody in the company knows I did that because there's a video that I videoed on my phone and it doesn't matter whether it's our staff in Beijing, they know that their boss, even if they haven't met me, is a complete nutter. <laughs> and that's really important and that I believe in the product I race every year at the BWC. I was doing a ride last weekend for charity. Um, social media helps because it allows me to tell stories of what I'm doing to my team. Even though I'm telling that story to the customer, my team are also, you know, probably, I don't know for sure, but it, you know, they, they will be following me on Facebook or, or Twitter or something like that. The other thing is, um, you know, I, spending time, I mean, in the factory, I get into the work at about 7.30. Most of our office staff don't get into 8.30 or 9. And I always walk the shop floor to just chat, observe. When I worked, uh, I worked for ICI in Middlesbrough and I had a fantastic mentor called Andy Teague. And I, my first job was in project management and these are big belching chemical plants. And if they um, break, it's very expensive for each day that they're down. And, um, and I remember saying to, to Andy that I was worried I was spending too much time drinking tea, chatting to the contractors who are effectively like my staff. And he said, Will, you can never drink too much tea chatting to your staff. That is... A really important part of your job, because people need to believe in you as, in, as a human being. They need to trust you. They need to share your values. And if you become too ivory tower and you, you know, think the sun shines out of your arse and you're not human, I think that's that's not somebody somebody will respect. So, and sometimes I think oh, I've got to write this report or I should be doing this, but actually the. Other stuff is probably more powerful. And even if the person you're speaking to, um, you can't speak to everyone, but then when they're all chatting, they'll say, yeah, yeah, you know, it gets, it gets through. And um, so, again, it comes back to the, you know, our mission is to change how people live in cities. Our mission isn't return to shareholders. It isn't we want to make 10 million quid. It is we want to affect society. And, you know, that ripples through everything we do. My question is I think it's probably already <coughs> been covered, um, but it's maybe more about um, other people's expectations. Um, how do you deal with people who say that you're too expensive and I can go to Halford's for X pounds, the people who are a bit hmm. negative and critical of higher end in general? So I think, um, and I, I'm sort of increasingly going down this road as, as we're growing, but. Um, I think you need to tell stories. If you, I'm getting a bit philosophical here, but if you go back 2,000 years, if you look at every religion, we, we, we as a society, we love stories. You know, most of our stories were passed down generation to generation in storytelling. And I think the consumer, certainly the sophisticated consumer is buying more than a product. It wants to know, who made my product? Do the people that have made it care? are 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 the staff being looked after? Are they caring about the environment? Do they pay their tax? There's a sort of general interest in, I think, a renaissance to buying quality, and quality not just in the product, but in every element. So I think I would have thought, coming back to your sort of less is more, You really, really want to know who's making the product and explain that to the consumer because then they have pride in it. They understand technically what they've got. They buy into what they've got and they can tell that story to their friend. In our case, all the bikes are handmade. The name of every brazer is on every frame. I could pick up a 25-year-old bike and I could tell you who brazed each braze we have a Raspberry Pi on every station on the line, so I know who tightened every bolt. We have a torque sensor, so I know how tight they t- tightened it. You know, you need to, to, to... Your staff, you need to have the depth of knowledge to transfer that across because if you are buying quality, there's a reason for it. And if the, if the customer doesn't appreciate and recognise that value they won't feel the value. So you need to give them that insight for them to recognize the value of what they've got. And now, a word from our sponsor.
0: Hi, Connor Heaney here. In 2017, after feeling frustrated and underappreciated by our previous lens supplier, my practice started working with Seiko as our primary lens company, and we haven't looked back. The Seiko team are a joy to work with, they are extremely helpful and flexible to our needs, which means we can provide far better service to our clients at Jones & Co. Styling Opticians. Our patients are delighted with the quality of vision they get from their Seiko lenses. And for over four years now, it's been an excellent and profitable partnership with Seiko for my practice. I can't recommend them highly enough. To receive a Seiko information pack, including a special lens offer for podcast listeners, send an email to info UK at seikovision.com with the subject podcast find out how Seiko can help your practice the same way they help mine send an email to infouk at Secovision.com with the subject podcast
1: fire away so my question is probably more applicable to when you started out, when you were the smaller organisation, but um, how do you decide what, job, what jobs to delegate and what to take on yourself? Or when a problem comes up the chain to you, how do you decide whether it warrants your attention or whether someone else has to sort it out? So when we were little, um, it's if... You, you, in, in a business... If a business is growing, you have a bottleneck. You need to know what that bottleneck is. You need to have enough insight in your business to be aware where the bottleneck is. And what happens is as the business grows, that bottleneck keeps moving. So you deal with the bottleneck over here and then it immediately moves over here. And then it goes there and there and there and there and there and there. there. So I'm obsessed with knowing what that bottleneck is. And sometimes it's quite hard to put your finger on it it's quite hard to, 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 to understand and see where it is. And when you can see it, you can help and supply it to unlock it. But you know, in the early days, I was on the shop floor for four weeks, basically running a machine, because that was a bottleneck. And I needed to fix it. And in, you know, in that context, I, I got very, very physically involved and ran it and worked very long hours so that we could make more product. Um, Today, funnily enough, we found our bottleneck moving from sort of, well, it was design, then it was production, then it's finance, then it's marketing, then it's sales, and it moves around the organization. Now, what uh, in the last six to nine months, I've sort of realized that, so if you imagine, the first thing I did was to get the foundations right, which is the bike, and I, that took about three or four years Now we're building a sort of tower on the foundations, but if the foundations get weak, the tower will fall. So you've got to make sure those foundations are rock solid. Never forget that the bike is the foundations, but you build your marketing, sales, distribution, retail, and everything else on top. So we were getting quite good now at at these different bricks and each brick is sales, marketing, logistics, quality, brick, 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 higher and higher. And then I then realised that the thing that was now weak wasn't the blocks, we had plenty of blocks because we're recruiting all these people, but it's the glue between the blocks, the cement. It's the culture, understanding our history, what we stand for. It is um, making sure people understand our values, making sure they're getting the right training, making sure they're being empowered. These slightly nebulous, not obvious things that hold a business together. But it's taken me a while to see that so now I'm on a mission at the moment as it happens in our organisation we're going through a real not refresh but a sort of intensification of communication and definition of what we stand for and articulating that right through the company firming up how we go through an induction making sure that our reviews are better making sure that we're doing more investing more in training so you know and and I hope in 18 months that will be an better place and then there'll be another bottleneck but it's chasing the bottleneck around your business but the first thing is to be able to have the space to observe and to find what that bottleneck is online or in store if you could sell all your bikes online would you so um to my mind and i didn't say this when we when with respect to connor's presentation I think you have to go online, without doubt, in my opinion. So definitely, it's unbelievable. Um, But what you need to do is do it in a way that delivers a service and a quality and and a care that is extraordinary. So we are bricks and mortar. We've built our entire business on bricks and mortar. We are now not in any way, shape or form going to give up on bricks and mortar because that's key. Because there was a time where the whole world said, yeah, yeah, we don't need bricks and mortar anymore. It's all e-com. E-com, e e a thing. And now everyone's rowing back from e a bit like your friends in America. And it's now omnichannel. To me, omni-channel is right. That is the right way to go. So for example, classic example, Um, We have found that a lot of our IBDs are going down because they can't talk to the consumer. Independent, that's your independent... Independent bike dealers. They can't talk to the consumer. And because so many consumers start their customer journey with the phone in their pocket. So if the IBD has no presence on the phone, they're immediately unable to be part of the choice. And the person who is right at the top is Specsavers because they dominate that space. So the beginning of the journey, you're not even in the room. So you're at a a disadvantage. People don't even know you exist. And so, and it's not reasonable to think that, um, That spec savers, sorry, that you guys can invest two million quid in an online platform or in SEO optimization or any of these other things. And we were finding that that is not good for our customer experience because the best customer experience our customers get is from IBDs, not from the chain. But the chains were grabbing market share. So we've invested a lot of money in a click and collect platform. Initially, a lot of our IBDs were like, you bastard. You know, what are you doing, doing click and collect? You know, you're taking away my um, margin and you know, you're gonna. I need that margin for the shop, et cetera, et cetera. But we are giving, we're taking a tiny cut for our click and collect. But what it means now is if you search for a Brompton, it doesn't come up with Halfords or Evans. It comes up with Brompton. And if you want to find a premier dealer, you'll find that in many cases, that's an IBD. So now, our IBDs who didn't have the revenue to generate, we're investing in them and they can go to sleep and wake up in the morning and find they've got three orders because someone's come through our site which we're consolidating all our resources to raise that up. So, So I feel you need to be I, the reason I feel you need to be in it—it's and it's a bit like the sharing economy. You don't need to bet. You don't need to bet the farm on it. But I think you need to be in it because you've got to learn. You've got to be aware because it's coming at some way, in some way, shape, or form. And and if you're learning at a small scale, then then you, you're at least in it. I mean, it's, it's it's a tricky one. But my belief is you you've got to be in it, in some way, shape, or form, um, because. And if I was in your industry, definitely. Because shipping a bike, we're lucky our bike folds. It's a lot easier to ship. But your glasses are just amazing to ship. And you might have a customer that bought glasses off you and they now moved to Singapore. Well, they can't come to your shop. And they're a lovely, loyal customer. So, you know, they want to get them. So who knows? But I would, yeah. my opinion is i definitely... Thank you, Will. I know we're
0: out of time and you have a few IBDs to go visit. I'm right absolutely down. Yeah. So a big round of applause again for Will.
1: Thank you very much. Um.
0: Thank you for listening to the Optical Entrepreneur Podcast. If you're brand new to our world, head over to OpticalSuccessAcademy.com, where you can get started with my special report, the nine keys that unlock the hidden profits in your practice. Or... If you've been listening to the show for a while, you like what you hear, and you think you could benefit from this type of help to accelerate the growth and profitability of your practice, reach out to my team at info at and tell us exactly what you're looking for. You'll find all this information in the show notes. And if you know someone who would benefit from today's show, please share it with them. Until next time, make it a great month.